Welcome to the Tokunet Podcast. This is episode 25. I'm your host, well, one of your hosts, Yas, and I'm joined by... One of us. <laughs> Paula. Hi. It's been a while. Where have you been? Uh, I've been running the site and getting my degree is what I've been doing. <laughs> I call BS, but okay. <laughs> I will send you a picture of my diploma and the Tokunet bills. <laughs> So that you know what I have to go through. Uh, and we also are joined by Bob. Hi, I'm Bob today. You may know me as Nick. <laughs> and uh, today is a very special podcast because we actually have an interview with the writer and artist behind the upcoming graphic novel, Robots, uh, Jay Torres and... Sean Duff. We just did an interview and actually it was pretty fun. I yeah, really it was, enjoyed it. It's, it's nice to have, it's nice to have, just period. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been a, like, we haven't had like a formal interview yet as a podcast, so it's really great to do that. And the one thing, the reason why we, I think we haven't had one before was I'm always worried, like, I'm not, I don't want to make somebody else, you know, we're all in different areas. Where yeah. staff members of Token are all spread out. So I don't want to make like, and even the people we're interviewing are on different areas. So I don't want to make people have to install anything just so I can, just so we can interview them. Right, right, right. And so we finally found a way to do that. And I'm glad it turned out great because that was a really great conversation. I had a really great time. Yeah, we actually learned a lot about how they came up with the concepts, how they actually, like how did Sean draw the comic and how you know different concepts came together for writing as well mm-hmm. it was really cool i liked it yeah it was really great and yeah it's really nice to be on the podcast again i know <laughs> i haven't been on since like last yeah, when year was the last time you were on i don't remember i don't remember i really uh, the off duty when emily was still with us oh right that was in thanksgiving emily, we miss emily wasn't that emily. thanksgiving that was thanksgiving that was thanksgiving yeah wow that was the last time I was on the podcast, and you guys have been doing very well without me. I'm very proud. Well, you need to come back for more podcasts. I know. I'm, like, I'm just hanging out with you guys, audio-wise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you only The only time you've been seeing me, because you know, I've been studying to my final semester, finally graduate. Finally, I'm gra- I'm Congratulations. Thank you. And then on to my master's next year. Holy crap. Oof. But at least you get you get a uh, another year of my full un, undivided attention <laughs> for Tokenet. <laughs> so <laughs> you will get a lot of like more reminders of hey, let's get this article out. Hey, let's interview this person. Hey, let's do this. So just hit the mute button. Mute. mute that mute, yeah. Mute, that mute, those uh, few mute. months of vacation is now over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, no, it was really it was really 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 fun. To, to hang out with you guys um, and get to interview two amazing creators. Like, I'm, I'm still kind of shell-shocked. Um, yeah. It's, it's just fun. interesting, like, because we've, we've done written interviews, but, like, being able to talk to them over Skype and just, you know, pick their brains as to what they do, it's really cool. Yeah, it was, it's really nice to have, like, kind of an informal, more or less informal conversation. Yeah. 
Um, Because a lot of the interviews we've done have been like at conventions or at, you know, you've seen them on our YouTube channel and stuff like that. So it was really, and... Also, it's like those are time uh, constricted. Like, oh, we only have like 15 minutes or 30 minutes. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, yeah. Whereas this one is like, oh, you know, we'll talk for about an hour and just, you know, hang out. Yep. Yep. It was really cool. But yeah, you probably hear a lot of me asking questions, kind of, you know, making up for lost time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, both Nick and I have a cold. Yeah, but that gives me no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I so think, we, I think people are going to enjoy this interview. Yeah, we really hope that you like uh, this interview with Jay Torres and Sean Dove. Uh, you definitely check out their their respective uh social media stuff um sean is at and thank you uh and his website is and thank you for flying uh jay torres is at jay torres comics on twitter um and he's also at jay torres comics.com the robots is published through oni press and it comes out wide release on may 25th and yeah Definitely check them out. It's a nice... What I really loved about robots in particular is that, and I mentioned this in an interview, um, is that it, it is skewed uh, for all ages, and particularly for younger kids, uh, with kids in mind. And so for me to be able to recommend kind of like to my nieces and my nephews and a comic that gets them into the stuff that I'm into and yeah. have that be like a bonding experience, that's, that's really great. So not only do you get comics, you get like comics with kaiju and robots. And... Yeah, there's a little, there's a few tokusatsu nods in there, which is pretty fun. Yeah, a lot of really yeah. great tokusatsu nods. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy our interview with these two really great creators, and hopefully we'll have them back uh, sometime in the future for some of their other uh, really cool inspired projects. Definitely, definitely. So yeah. Hey Nick, you want to say something? <laughs> something. There you go. God. So. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> and here's the interview, guys. So I'd like to welcome uh, Jay and Sean here, the creators of Burbots, uh, to the Sokusatsu Network podcast. This is kind of a special episode. Our first interview episode, actually. So thank you for being our inaugural <laughs> interviewees. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Um, and so if for those of you who, for those who may not know who you guys are yet uh jay uh can you introduce yourselves uh for for our audience uh so my name is jay torres and i'm a comic book writer um some of the stuff that i've worked on for dc include teen titans go which is a title they wrote for about four years four or five years i've worked on uh, two or three different batman titles i wrote ninja scroll for them the uh the comic book adaptation of course uh, X-Men Ronin at Marvel back in the 90s, which was part of their Mongaverse. And uh, as far as creator-owned uh, titles are concerned, I wrote Allison Dare for Oni, Jason and the Argobots, currently The Mighty Zodiac, which is with Corinne Howe, and of course, Brobots with Sean. Sean, can you introduce yourself for us, please? Yeah, uh, I'm Sean Dove, and um, I've done a good amount of like a, a self-publishing, uh, but I guess this is probably my first... Um, like full book with like a publisher publisher. Um, mm-hmm. But besides that, I've been working in the industry for 10 years doing like graphic des- design and uh, 
different odds and ends for Image and Oni and Devils Do Publishing and a little bit of Marvel. Very cool. Uh, which just uh, just out of curiosity, which Marvel works have you worked on, Sean? Uh, I did some uh, like just it's all weird back end stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like uh, there was a Guardians of the Galaxy web. There was a digital release, mm-hmm. and I did. I had to like chop it up and turn it into like a real gotcha. normal comic. So gotcha. it's like I do a lot of odd, odd jobs. Mm-hmm. So. Can you guys tell us more about uh, kind of a brief introduction of robots and what got you, Jay, what inspired you to write something like it and then what inspired you to work with Sean as the artist for the for the book? Um, well, robots is um, a funny, action-packed, anime-inspired, uh, Cartoon Network-influenced comic, and it's about three robots who are brothers, and they defend their city, Brotown, uh, by battling giant monsters and other threats. Um, the original idea, actually, it's funny because it started with the title Robots. Uh, one day my kids came home from school. They're really young. They're like mm-hmm. four and six at the time. And they just started mm-hmm. calling each other bro, which was a very strange thing because they'd never, <laughs> ever done that before. Are they both boys? Yes, they're boys. And somehow bro turned into Robots. I guess I must have said it out loud. And I thought it was a cool-sounding title. And then mm-hmm. it kind of started from there, and I started building. I first built the characters, or named the characters, figured out their powers, and then come, came up with a story. <clears throat> and then when it came time to uh, to pitch it, I kind of knew that I wanted um, someone like Sean on the book because of his art style. And mm-hmm. as it happens, um, we both sort of had the same love of um, you know anime and and. 80s cartoons and giant robots mm-hmm. and kaiju and all that kind of stuff, you know, Godzilla mm-hmm. movies. So it really, it really sort of, you know, we fit in terms of, in terms of this project, and it just made sense to bring him on on the book. Did you guys know each other beforehand? Uh, how did you guys meet? Sean, how long have I known you? About ten years, fifteen years. Ten, yeah, probably ten years now. Wow. It was like around Devil's Due, right? You were still working at Devil's Due in mm-hmm. Chicago. See, his, uh, one of his studio mates, Mike Norton, um, he and I even go further back. And uh, so I, I knew Mike, and I was visiting Chicago one year, and I dropped by the studio. They were both at Devil's Due Studios at the time, and that's where we met, right, Sean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, I know, I've, I've been wanting to work with Sean for the longest time because I just love his art style. But it was always a mm-hmm. question of, you know, the right book coming along, the right time, and all that kind of stuff. Did you guys, uh, Sean, I read that you, you were born in Hawaii, uh, and Jay, you were born in the Philippines? Yes, that's right. I, I was too. Oh, right <laughs> I, was born in, I was born in Quezon City. Uh, and so I grew up, uh, I was there until I was six years old, so I grew up watching uh, Darna and Bioman and Maskman. And so that's how I got started watching Tokusatsu along when I, when I moved here and watching Power Rangers. So how... Uh, since it has a lot of kaiju influence, well, specifically kaiju influence, uh, robots does. Did you guys grow up watching um, Super Sentai or, or kaiju? Because I, I I know also that yeah. Hawaii See, had a my experience is really different because I although I was born in the Philippines, my family immigrated to Quebec to Montreal when I was around hmm. four. Okay. So mm-hmm. my if if I'm not mistaken, my first exposure to any um, anime or 
or any kind of Japanese animation was um, Mazinger Z, but in French, it was called Goldorak. <laughs> so really? I watched That's it amazing. in French, not realizing it actually came from Japan. And mm-hmm. then maybe a few years after that, we started getting um, Gachaman, but it was called Battle of the Planets. So that was my introduction right. to you know Japanese animation, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I eventually picked up, yeah. you know, manga and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Godzilla movies were on Saturday morning matinee type shows all the time. So, Sean, what about you? Yeah, so um, we, I, I, my parents are from Hawaii and like uh, I was born there, but we quickly moved to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. And uh, so, you know, I missed, I missed out on a lot of stuff that they had there at the time, but in mm. Ann Arbor, um, yeah, my show my show was the first same thing as Jay. It was um, Messenger Z, but in Michigan it was called Transor Z. Um, wow! And uh, yeah, that was like the main show I was super into uh, when it first came out. Right. And uh, yeah, we would watch. We could we would rent Godzilla movies all the time. But you know, for the most part, it was kind of hard to find that stuff in the '80s in Michigan until. You know, a little later, we started finding that stuff more and more. Jay, does your kid do your kids watch any of uh, any anime or uh, Power Rangers at all? That's funny that you asked that because for some reason my eldest has an aversion to the Power Rangers, which is very weird. <laughs> I would think that it would be the kind of thing that was up his alley, but every time he sees it, he's like, "I don't like that." Can we change the channel? And it's just such a oh. strange reaction. Wow. But he does love, you know, he does love anime. He's big into cartoons, just like his dad. Mm-hmm. He loves robots. He's seen one or two Godzilla movies, including the the most recent one, uh, which mm-hmm. wasn't my favorite. But for whatever reason, he ended up seeing that, uh, and he's he's shown an interest in kaiju um, movies. Mm-hmm. You know, he keeps asking me, "Can we watch um, the stuff that I grew up on, or you know, what we we used to rent on VHS or whatever in the '80s and '90s?" Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, they do watch the stuff, but it's uh, it's interesting what they sort of gravitate towards. I, I just I just expected them to be into Power Rangers because I have right. nephews who are who eat that stuff up, right? You know, and and right. I have a cousin who grew up on on <clears throat> on Power Rangers, and you know, I just kind of expected. It would, it would just it would translate over to my kids, but it just it just hasn't, which is very interesting. Mind you, they're huge Miyazaki fans. Maybe they kind of like a lighter touch. I don't know. It's just a strange, you know. So far, it's been the cutesy stuff in terms of Japanese animation, like Totoro and um, mm-hmm. and Ponyo. So maybe they're so too young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, I wanted to ask you: Did they help you at all? Like, kind of, in, other than um, kind of coming up with uh, the bro Bros. part of robots? Did they inspire you at all? With um, the book? In this story, I, I guess in a way, because it's just basically the, an interaction between brothers, right? And sort of the right. way they would just kind of go about their their day, playing and and having adventures, you know, imaginary adventures, of course. But really, mm-hmm. in terms of like you know, plotting or, or the actual story. They didn't really help me out, but I guess watching them just kind of interact with each other sort of informed the way these characters interacted. But certainly the, you know, the way kids play with just sort of uh, stuff happening on the fly and kind of like an improv kind of way, that was certainly an influence, at least subconsciously, because that's how the story kind of unfolded. We go from one 
action to another, and then there's kind of a twist, and then something unexpected happens next. Do you know what I mean? So the way the kids play, they mm-hmm. just sort of roll it out as they go along, and it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. Right. It's just whatever's fun or cool or exciting at that time. Right, or whatever just so happens to be at – yeah, right. Um, so what kind of aspects of the mecha an- of the various anime that you guys grew up watching and the kaiju films that you grew up watching left kind of like the biggest impressions on you? Uh, sorry, they want to hog the, <laughs> hog the oh, mic. No, so sorry. No. Go first. So um, when we first started designing them, um, Jay initially kind of wanted more of like a like a retro 60s kind of robot. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a bunch of designs, and they just weren't really meshing with what I end up. I kind of draw like, mm-hmm. and we just both weren't super happy with them. And we kept on just like kind of going back and forth on what these guys should look like. And then uh, I came across this Japanese cartoon called Algebraeus, and um, it was like it was initially going to be um, the third version of Voltron. It was called Gladiator Voltron, um, oh. if it had come out here, but it never happened. And it's uh, these three robots that merge into, like, one robot. And one's red, one's blue, and one's black. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I was kind of just, like, taken with them, and it just seemed like what we were kind of looking for. From there, I kind of spun that off into trying to figure out how to make my own, you know, vibe version of these guys. Right. Um, so, you know, like Astro Boy and Tetsujin and um, Mazinger Z and stuff like that, those are like real big um, influences on each of the robots. And um, also, there's a TV show called Mask growing up, and there was a little robot in there called T-Bob, um, who I always really liked. Yeah. And so I kind of just, you know, looked at those guys and sort of took little influences from each of them and kind of spun them into each of the brothers uh, what about you jay well very specifically the um there, i don't know if i, I guess I should, it's okay to spoil it because there in, in the story there is um so we have this giant kaiju monster and as it turns out it's actually a giant in a kaiju suit that was right. that made me laugh so much that was so great. that was great so essentially it's just it was it was actually inspired by i don't know if you guys remember uh, Godzilla uh, versus Mecha Godzilla. There was a point where right. I'm trying to remember if his skin burnt up and revealed the Mecha underneath. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if Godzilla like you know breathed fire on him or if it was something else where he transformed. But I just remember skin melting or coming off and then revealing the Mecha Godzilla underneath. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that would be kind of a fun twist on it, but. I decided that it would be just a dude in a suit instead. Um, so that that memory from childhood kind of inspired that that plot twist, and then we kind of took it from there. So very specifically, there was that. And I think at one point I tried to put in a Mothra-type monster somewhere. This was even before yeah. Sean was involved. But, uh, you know, it was just too much story for one book, so maybe save that for, for later. Or for the, yeah, that would That'd actually be, cool. that'd be really cool. Well, it made me, well, it kind of made me laugh, and I don't know if Yaz and, and Nick can agree with me here, but it made me laugh in particular because because our outlet is all about guys in suits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the moment um, it was revealed that, you know, it's not just a giant monster, it's a giant in a monster suit. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> tickled, tickled me a lot, quite a bit. And yeah. the other thing is, too, like, as a kid, I don't think, you know, as a kid watching this stuff, I don't think I keyed in that that was a guy in a suit. I might have thought it was mm-hmm. a puppet or I don't right. know what or something. But then, right. they, of course, later on, you see making of um, um, documentaries or whatever, and you really, you, or you read about it, you find out that it was right. a guy in a suit. So I, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by that. And and I I had this other memory too about maybe ten or f- ten. I don't. Anyway, I went to Anime North, which was no, no, not Anime North. Anime Extreme. I can't remember what it was. It was a it was an anime <laughs> f- uh, festival in in Chicago. Okay. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is now. Anime Fest. Anyway, so they had a cosplay contest, <clears throat> and one of the mm-hmm. acts in the cosplay contest was a Godzilla. The dude was in this really um, uh, impressive-looking Godzilla outfit, but even better than that, his act was to bring out these cardboard buildings to make it look like a city, <laughs> and what he would do was just come on and crush the cardboard. And I thought that That's was amazing. the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. So, I don't know. It was just sort of like, uh, you know, part of the inspiration, I guess, was in the back of my mind, you know, to kind of have this guy in a suit just mess up a city. Yeah, it was really, well, for me, it was really fun about that, um, Have talking about the guy in a suit, was that I was at Monster Palooza just this uh, past couple of weekends ago, where uh, we were lucky enough to meet the original Godzilla 1954 actor, Haruto Nakajima. Oh, that's really and cool. So, and, and he's he's a, still a wonderful man, and he talks about just like how before him there wasn't really anybody who can talk about the the mechanics of suit acting. He had to figure it out on his own, and the suit itself was like so heavy, heavy yeah. and that it, and the the people who would come after him would just you know are this this they would get better in creating the suits and they would be lighter and lighter. But um, but yeah, the the amount of acting skills that it required to emote that. So it, yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, one of the things I love about Godzilla is that his face is very expressive for like a rubber mask. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's somebody's doing that, you know, in there somewhere, right? Like it's not, mm-hmm. and it's also about the the, um, I guess the pantomime and the the. the the hand motions and body motions that kind of come in with it. I mean, it certainly is, it's not just a simple, you know, cosplay kind of deal thing. There's that doc where they talk to like the different Godzilla actors. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I really like when they're talking about how they each have their different style and uh, kind of how they approach like his martial arts almost. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, well, Nakajima-san said a lot uh, when he was asked what was it about, like, how how was he on the suit and things like that. Because he, and the one thing I think in the panel he focused on, um, it was just, he's kind of like an actor first. He was, he was never like a suit actor. He's just an actor. And so for him, it was just all about, you know, trying to get those movements forward kind of thing. And he's 87 years old. I'm looking up his age right now so uh and he's he's, that's why i was very very fortunate to meet him in monster palooza because i don't know if he'll still be able to travel right right (laughs) at at 87 he was born in 1929 so yeah i wanted to ask and and sean i i know that we're i asked if you'd like to be part of our artist feature uh for the two talks network and so i'm kind of getting i'm going to do a slight cheat here and ask you the question (laughs) um from what our artist features like uh can you you, you mentioned in your blog that you mixed both computer and manual kind of art forms. Uh, how is how can you talk about the process 
when creating yeah. those panels and creating uh, robots? Yeah, it's. I I think I mean the way I do it is a way probably a lot of other people sort of do it, but um, it's still just like a lot of random steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a Cintiq, so I I draw on the computer screen itself. Okay. Um, and so when I initially start uh, started drawing robots, I I would lay it all out on my in like Photoshop, mm-hmm. um, and then. I have a hard time finding shapes, sort of. Everything that I make is real shape-based mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up having to sort of like printing printing out all of my layouts, and then I pencil them by hand um, just to sort of like find those shapes better and sort of just sort of um, make everything cleaner and better, sharper looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would scan those back in and then re-ink them in Photoshop and then color and add letters and sound effects and everything like that afterwards. Um, so, I mean, I could have probably just drawn it all in Photoshop, but in, right. but I just needed that little extra step to, like, kind of refine it in a, another level of it, right. sort of. I, I guess that's the roundabout way to explain it. Well, I would think that you probably have great a little bit more control if you're just directly using rather than going through a computer if you want to do like kind of refined details of something yeah kind of it it's it's more just sort of finding the drawing it's okay. I, there's something um there's a slight disconnect between the screen and like what my hand is doing right because mm-hmm. um, with the Cintiq there's um there's a distance between what is being drawn and what is your pencils touching mm-hmm. right. that is gone when you're on paper. Um, and it's something I kind of, I, I'm excited to try that new, um, the Apple, uh, iPad pro mm-hmm. because they kind of fixed a lot of that. Um, like you're, when you're drawing, it's more one-to-one on there than it is on a Cintiq. But, uh, yeah. I, I, so it's just sort of like a roundabout way to do all the same thing. Um, I wanted to ask too about your art style. Uh, like I completely really love your your very retro uh, style, and and you had your um, last days of danger book, which you kickstarted. Um, yeah. I love that it's the hashtag disembond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was kind of like the retro like fifties sixties art style. What was it that is that what specifically inspired you? Um, your specific art style and. So what what is it that about that kind of style that kind of you know inspires you? Um, I mean, I ended up just I kind of just grab from all over the place on what what I think is interesting and kind of what ends up being my art style, I guess. Okay. Um, so like, there's artists like uh, Mary Blair. She's a Disney artist. She did a lot of stuff for like um, like Snow White and uh, Sleeping Beauty and. A lot of the early Disney stuff. Is that she's all, she's the one that has also the whenever you have the picture books of the of those. Yeah, some stores. of the early stuff is her. Yeah, she oh, did. Okay. Um, she designed Small World, basically. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I and um, she has like a really nice um, painterly style, but it's also very shape based. Mm-hmm. And I, there's just something super attractive about that that I've just always loved. Mm-hmm. And. Um, so and I kind of got into her through um, watching shows like 
Powerpuff Ranger, Powerpuff Girls, and uh, <laughs> Powerpuff Rangers. That's weird. That would be an amazing show. Just don't yeah. get me wrong. <laughs> and um, like Samurai Jack had those like yes. super amazing painted backgrounds. Yes. Um, so kind of that stuff was big for me. And then, uh, you know, like Mazinger Z and stuff like that when I was a kid were huge for me. So it's sort of all combined together, these like Japanese shows and like early 40s, 50s, 60s animation stuff. Mm-hmm. They combine like a robot. Hey. <laughs> that's terrible well done <laughs> very well done um, well I wanted to ask also uh, because this is an all ages uh, book and one of the things that I've always found kind of challenging especially since we do a lot of uh, coverage with, with both most of our coverage is mostly Common Rider, Super Sentai, Metal Heroes and Ultraman it, uh, what I find when I do talk to newer fans for Tokusatsu is that if they if they weren't watching kaiju or just tokusatsu in general as kids it's more or less kind of difficult for them to get into it is that kind of one of the reasons why you guys wanted to work on well jay you've worked on a lot of all ages books um is that something that you've noticed that the reason why we have a lot of more is 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 the market kind of skewing more to all ages to kind of bring in kind of keep up with uh bring in new fans bring in like more kids and things like that um it's it's hard to, i mean it's hard for me to explain it's just it's just sort of the way i tend to to write and it's not that i don't like to write for an older audience or can't write for an older audience right. i've certainly yeah, done that it just seems more i'm more comfortable doing it and most of the time when i come up with a story it kind of has a kind of a general audience's kind of sensibility mm-hmm. and a lot of times when I do like my creative work, I kind of try to apply that Pixar principle where you try to aim for, you know, a, a broad audience and appeal to the entire family as opposed to you right. know, just kids or just adults. Right. Um, with robots, on the other hand, it, it really does skew a bit younger, but I think it's mainly because I was writing it with my kids in mind. Right. And there is certainly a push now for younger readers' comics, particularly really young, like beginner readers and middle readers, because mm-hmm. comics are so huge now. Everybody wants some kind of graphic novel or comic book in their library. They want to introduce yes. their kids to it. But it's not easy because the, the the mainstays that we used to rely on, like Marvel and DC, they're mm-hmm. really hard to access for younger readers. It's, um, you know, just because of the violent content or the mm-hmm. sex that's why some stores don't carry this stuff. Like, that's why we don't see them in, in you know, general bookstores or, yeah. or even like a Walmart or the, the um, a lot of supermarkets carry tend, tend to carry Archie because they're more quote unquote wholesome and they, you know, um, controversy free and whatever. Right? <laughs> so, so you know, with that, I mean, I do have that in mind, but it's not really. I just I just come up with the story and go with it and. Generally, what happens is the editor or um, the publisher, sometimes even the bookseller or distributor, will decide on the age range and the reading range mm-hmm. and kind of take it from there. So it's not something mm-hmm. that I always set out to do. It just sort of happens. Right. 
Well, I, I, when you mentioned that, like, a lot of, there is more, well, uh, libraries want to carry more all-ages kind of graphic novels and things like that. Um, I work in the library field as my day job, and I work with, um, you know, teens and kids. And so a lot, it would be, Robots would be something I 100% would recommend kind of a starter to, for, for kids to kind of get into, like, superhero and action yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that. that was the hope that we kind of yeah. find that pocket. And I will say something that in the last five to ten years, if not, you know, longer, libraries have kind of saved the North American comic book industry. Libraries and schools and teachers and parents, because there was a time there where we were just so focused on, you know, comics aren't for kids anymore and mature reader stuff, which was fine, like, you know, Dark Knight right. and, and Watchmen and all that kind of stuff. But they kind of forgot about the original audience for comics. Mm-hmm. And we almost lost a generation of re- potential readers. But luckily in the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, because of the graphic novel and because of manga, mm-hmm. you know, the, it kind of woke up this industry that was predominantly, you know, male, male-oriented. All of a sudden at Comic-Con, people noticed, where are all these teenage girls coming from? And they're all walking <laughs> around with, you know, armfuls of anime. So that right. and, and manga, sorry. So that kind of you know woke us up and and made us sort of remember. Oh yeah, we should be we should be maybe making comics for younger kids. You know. Well, that makes me feel really good because again, like I, my day job being in the in the library field, uh, that was it was even hard for even for my librarian coworkers for me to advocate for graphic novels, even as a, a literacy tool because yeah. a lot of the times you know you would have parents going, no, I want them to be reading Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys or. Or things like that, and some of the kids are totally not into it. It's not what they're what they're like. They want to see action and what their you know big brothers or you know uncles are watch and listen to uh, or read rather. You know, it's it's there's a sort of a parallel between what's happened in in comic books and what's happened in in terms of Japanese animation and 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 comics in North America. Like the mm-hmm. general acceptance of both into the mainstream has really, you know, um, increased in the last 5, 10, 15 years, et cetera. To the point that now if you go to any bookstore, any comic store, uh, any library almost, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can't avoid the sections. I mean, I remember, you know, walking into uh, a local bookstore chain and you'd have that one shelf of manga. And then right. all of a sudden, one shelf became like the entire section, became like <laughs> the entire wraparound section. And it's the same thing with with, um, with DVDs from Japan with, uh, and then eventually comics, too. I mean, I yeah. remember at one point, the only anime we could get, we'd have to rent from like one of these, um, these sort of indie um, um, you know, movie <laughs> rental places. And you had to get a membership and whatever. And, you know, if you wanted to see... Uh, animes from um, any series from Japan like that was the only you couldn't get at a blockbuster you know you couldn't go to Best Buy or whatever mm-hmm. well, what was your uh, your I guess I'm sorry to interrupt what was kind of like your go-to to find like kind of those rare Japanese like media from Japan because I, I know I was trying to find it was hard to get like Hong Kong subs for Tokusatsu for me and what, what was your go-to um, you mean in terms of the the store or the terms of yeah? The, where did you go get your? Well, I, that, by that time I was living in Toronto, and there was a place um, 
Oh, Lord, I just forgot the name of the store. I think it was Underground <laughs> Video, something like that. Underground Video, mm-hmm. which is actually next to a comic book store. And they were the only, basically the only game in town that was bringing in any kind of anime. And I, you know, the, they introduced me to stuff like, I don't know, like Rumiko Takahashi's work. And just all these robot and giant robo shows I'd never heard of, like Shin Getter Robo and Neo Getter Robo. I mean, they just came out of nowhere for me because we'd never seen that over here. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. So I mean, just I could go on. There's just so many things that I just remember discovering. <laughs> this was like in the early '90s, I guess, right? When we first started seeing, like, we were able to access this stuff before right. you could, like, just you know, go on online and download stuff or 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 watch it on Crunchyroll or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Where was your did What was your go-to? Well, um. I was lucky Ann Arbor has like a huge um, Japanese student population. Oh, cool. Um, And so they were bringing in stuff real early and, you know, um, making it a lot easier in Ann Arbor to kind of find stuff like that Mm -hmm. um, in the early 90s. So like in 1989 or 90, they convinced them to show Akira at um, our movie theater downtown. Wow. Um, so I got to see that on the big screen when That's it came awesome. out, and then oh, wow. um, the in the like early '90s, mid '90s ish, um, they had like a anime club at the University of mm-hmm. Michigan, mm-hmm. and they had free events like once a month, and they had their friends mailing them tapes of TV shows that were currently on TV then in Japan, mm-hmm. and then they would subtitle them at the university and then show them. Um, Every you know, once a month. Wow, they would sub them at the university. Yeah, they would like sub them themselves. Wow, that's crazy. That's really great. So <laughs> we were watching stuff like you know weeks, couple weeks after they would come out, um, and then you know just like you know uh, we saw uh, like a subtitled version of Nausicaa and a bunch of Miyazaki stuff, and um, I'm trying to think of what those shows were coming out. Escaflone and Nadesco and I'm trying to think of the other 90s stuff. Uh, Neon Genesis. Yeah, Evangelion, definitely. Yeah. Like, as those were coming out, so I, those were, like, really big shows for me in the 90s. Because we'd go and you'd, it'd start at, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon and then run till, like, midnight or so mm-hmm. on Saturdays. Right. And, and then they opened up... Um, a store called WYSIWYG in the mid to late 90s. And it was like a Japanese import store. So we had that. So it was kind of cool. And then we also had like a, a Chinese restaurant that had like a weird secret bootleg section that we could go to <laughs> and get like games and movies and stuff. They were like 10 bucks a disc. Right. See, that's the ones that I remember. I remember the ones from like going to the flea market and seeing like the random... Uh, shop that held like maybe five or ten vhs's and you have to go through them like oh they have like three episodes of dbz like one arc you're like well i'm not gonna (laughs) see anywhere else i'm gonna get this one and you have no idea what's happened before or after the show so you're just (laughs) guessing at what's happening and hoping the subs are accurate or whatever yeah i was lucky enough when my first anime expo happens to be here in the west coast I'm, i'm based in los angeles and so I was, 2004 was my very first Anime Expo, and, you know, 
those they the only time I would ever see like anything on the big screen or learn about new anime was going to watch the viewing in the different like viewing rooms. So mm-hmm. I saw Reader Die for the very first time and like really obscure, you know, bits of anime. And uh, you know, they would make the anime music video contests where it was basically just Evangelion Lincoln Park videos all day. <laughs> just all day. Um well Sean, I also wanted to ask you, you said that um you were working on kind of a Super Sentai pitch. Uh art pitch? So geez. Maybe 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, I was working at Devil's Stew, and um, uh, I just had like this idea for like a Sentai comic, and I've just been kind of, it's been rolling around in my head for forever now, mm-hmm. um, and so the last year or two, I've been sort of just working on this comic pitch for, I don't, I don't know where it's going to go yet, or if right. it'll go anywhere. Right. But, have, uh, have you yeah. watched, like, uh, do you currently just watch Super Sentai or any Tokusatsu, like Henshin Heroes or anything like that? And how did you get started wor- uh, watching that? So I kind of missed out on, like, Power Rangers when it came to the U.S. I was just, like, slightly too old for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I would try to watch it, but it was just, like, slightly skewed too young for me. Right. Um, but, like, the... I was familiar with those characters because I had a friend who lived down the street from me who was from Japan mm-hmm. and he would go home and he would come back with like all these pencil boxes, like those magic pencil boxes that would have like buttons and secret compartments and stuff. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are rad. And they were all like, they all ended up being like Zoro Ranger stuff, but I didn't know that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came out, I was like, all this stuff looks super familiar, but um, a lot of it was just really hard to come by up until you know the last ten years or so, it seems like right. it's been easier to find. All no, we that have stuff. Zoo Ranger now officially on DVD yeah. from Shout Factory, and which is blows my mind still. Yeah, I picked that up, and I've been watching those, and um, uh, I've been liking Live Man and Denzel Man. Oh yeah, Denzel Man, yeah. Denzel Man is pretty great. Yeah, I've been watching like bits and pieces of those, but yeah, those those are kind of the I, I like the like early. 80s to like mid 90s early 90s ones more mm-hmm. so than some of the newer stuff did you just like just randomly like saw it on did you do because you said you were growing up it was your your neighbor going up did you just continue on watching from there or i mean he would just have like storybooks and pencil boxes of that stuff so i didn't really know what any of it was until you know last 10 years or so when like you know, the internet got better and we could actually find things a lot easier and gotcha. know yeah. what things actually came from. Because even in the 90s, I was aware that it was a Japanese show, but I didn't know. It was hard to find out actually what it was or even get like to any tapes of that kind of stuff, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, that would, for me, it was me trying to find... I would I would land on Hong Kong subs... <laughs> Uh, like a, a random boots at like a convention and find out like realize that that's what it was right. and the subs are always fantastic for them <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i have a i have a question for you guys yes so when i was in uh i was in korea last year visiting family and mm-hmm. the current power rangers series that was playing over there was train force or rail force oh have you guys oh, heard cool. about that yes uh i'm, I'm thinking Yes, it's Has called it Rush. Has it come out here yet? Not yet. It's not going to. Really? 
Yeah. Saban, you know, the people who adapt Power Rangers, they're skipping it. Right now they're doing uh, Dino Charge, which was Choryuja in Japan, and they announced that the next one is, I think it's called Ninja Steel. Yes. So they're skipping over the train season entirely. And I think this is the second one recently yeah, that they've skipped. That they right. skipped, yes. Have um, they yeah. mentioned why? I'm just kind of fascinated by it. Um, Americans hate trains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that was one of the reasons why. Uh, we don't know. We used to think it was toy sales, but then it came out that the season they're adapting for Ninja Steel had the worst toy sales in like a decade. So it can't be that reason. So we don't really know. I think it's yeah. just the fact that American, like American kids, don't have as much of a fascination with like trains as like they do in Japan. Like, oh yeah, they're not as like, ubiquitous over here. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting though because if you look at, you know, maybe not our generation or your generation, like the kids growing up watching uh, Thomas and what's that new yeah, one, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd think they try to like monopolize on that because mm. I guess maybe they're not old enough yet. I don't know. It's just it's strange that I they think, would skip I it. Think, I think it may also be because the trains that the the mechs are made out of are actually are kind of designed after trains in Japan. So maybe it's harder to relate in America because they probably don't have the same type of trains. Right. I don't know. It's just my guess. It could also just be the design. It may not be because the, the, the season that just passed that they are adapting for Power Rangers, Ninja Steel, it's ninjas. And um, I guess it's one of those like if you're thinking about previous Power Rangers, it's usually, you know, dinosaur based, magic based cars ninjas yeah nin- or ninjas and so yeah. this would be like what the third third or third fourth ninja, ninja series yeah <laughs> third ninja series so yeah maybe that could also just be why um well we were more surprised when they skipped the series go busters because they go busters had a lot of even just power rangers influence wasn't it right guys oh yeah that like the actual transformation said it's morphing time in they called Japan, their robots so. zords i think it was like yeah. a straight up power rangers homage Possibly. Pretty much. Yeah, and the designs were, were very straightforward, so we were more surprised with that skip rather than the the the, the Tokyo What did they call it in Korea? Rail 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 Force? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Rail Force. And then but yeah, because if you translate it into in, into English, my wife said it was not train but the rail. So it was. Oh, well, that would make sense. The designs are more rail based rather than the train itself. It was it was weird because I thought I was watching some kind of weird Korean bootleg, but as it turns out, it was an actual, <laughs> you know, it was an actual Japanese import, but they were just yeah. um, dubbing it. So yeah, and it's I also so was introduced to uh, I forget the title now. It was the uh, Power Rangers Mass Rider crossover where like everybody was in it. And all the, oh. the Kamen Riders were in it, and all the um, Power Rangers. It was just this big, crazy melee at the end of all of them fighting. Was this in Korea? Yeah, it was just on TV, but it was like, I think it was from the 90s. Um, I forgot the title. It was like this crazy crossover. They were Everybody was in it, and they just started fighting. I just caught, we caught up to it. They were just fighting in this open field. Um, all the Power Rangers from like every generation and all the Master Riders or Kamen Riders from every generation. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think. Um, but I don't Superhero know probably, Tyson? Yeah, it's probably yes, Superhero Tyson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an, older, that's an older film, right? Or an older... Um, nah. 
No, it actually came out earlier. When did it come out, Nick? Like within the last five years, there have been three of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I, you know, I've been I've been meaning to to get a copy of it because I want to finish it. I only saw the you know the the big battle at the end. And if that doesn't if that doesn't if that doesn't hook my kids into it, I don't know what. Because they're just so awesome. Sean, have you seen this? I've seen clips and stuff from it. It's just awesome. Just like it, it's just a mat. I mean, it's the closest thing. The closest thing we'll get in America, like an American version right now, is probably Civil War. Yeah, that's yeah. Exactly. You just get a bunch of groups, two groups of heroes fighting each other for whatever reason. But yep. but times twenty. Yeah, we. It, it's kind of an, an internal plus years of characters. Yeah, it was kind of an internal joke. I think in our in our staff, you know, chats has been Civil War is just basically superhero Tyson for America. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and it's like no color. Everything's right. drab, you know, and that sort of. Also, Ant Man. Ant Man looks like a common writer. Let's. It's true. <laughs> the Black Panther is very. Uh... Sentai looking too. I could see it. <laughs> like, uh, what's the show now? Ogre. If you paint Leo oh, yeah. black, you could convincingly make that a Black Panther costume. Oh, he could totally be the Sixth Ranger. Yo, yeah, Black Panther could definitely <laughs> be the Sixth Ranger. The current uh, Super Sentai season is animal based. So they have a lion, a snow tiger, a shark, <laughs> and an elephant and an eagle. And and yeah, so if you paint the the suit for the lion, it, it black, it totally might be Black Panther. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, Jay, speaking of Black Panther, did, did you? I heard you write you wrote a book for the title a while back. Yeah, well, this was a while back. It it was during Christopher Priest's run. Um, they asked me to do a two issue fill in, okay. and they recently collected it in. Uh, volume three of the complete back Black Panther. So, I think it just came out like a month or so ago. Oh, we'll have to check that out. So it's it's a really thick volume. Most of it is Christopher Priest, but there's also some classic Panther in there. And the very last two stories are the ones or is the one story that I wrote. Cool. Okay, we'll definitely we'll definitely have to check that out. Um, I guess I, this is kind of odd to ask this question towards the end as we're wrapping things up, but I wanted to ask how. Did both of you get started working on comics in the first place? Like, what? Um, how did that origin story, so to speak, come to fruition? Um, Sean, let me ask you first. Oh, uh, you're working on a lot of freelance work as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like growing up, I mean, I always, I always wanted to draw comics, um, and you know, when I graduated high school, I just, it didn't seem like that was really a possibility having a job drawing comic books so i ended up going to art school and um in the late 90s like drawing comics in art school was kind of frowned upon it wasn't super cool right. mm-hmm. um so i would do some comic book stuff there and it like teachers and stuff would like it and it, it would go okay um so when i graduated i kind of didn't really know what i was going to do i thought i'd just get some sort of our job somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I randomly ran into a advertisement that devil's do publishing was looking for an intern okay. and they're kind of like the only comic book publisher here in Chicago. Mm. Um, and at the time they were doing like GI Joe and Voltron 
um, and Dungeons and Dragons and some other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up interning there for the graphic designer at the time, Mike Norton, who's um, friends with Jay, and Jay had, him had done some books together. Um, and I kind of just stuck it out there um, doing design work until they finally hired me. Mm-hmm. Eventually Mike left, and then there was another art director, and he left, and then I became art director there. Um, so, you know, the whole time I was doing design and, like, kind of odds and ends for comics there, I was still drawing some of my own stuff and doing short comics for, um, like backups and stuff like that. But, um, I still thought I was too slow to do like a normal, like comic book. Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe five years ago, uh, I did this thing called 24 hour, uh, comic day Mm -hmm. where you draw, um, 24 pages of a comic in 24 hours. Was that the challenge by Scott McCloud? Yeah, Scott McCloud does it. He started it. And um, that kind of just really broke what I thought making comics was. Mm -hmm. It it would just, it made me realize like in so little time I could do so much. Like I, I I wasn't able to complete it. I did 19 pages. But with those pages, I was able to like tone them and like clean them up. And they looked okay Mm -hmm. and um that kind of just like changed my mind on how how i did things and it made everything i was doing a little less precious to me right um and just made it easier for me to want to make comics so the last five years or so i've been slowly transitioning from just doing design work to doing a lot of a lot more illustration and then um jay brought up the idea of doing a book together. So that kind of really pushed me into, you know, trying to make this one of my main jobs. Very cool. And so now I've been uh, doing more comic stuff for the last year or so. Yeah, we're glad that your art style, because like I, like I said, I also really, really love kind of that retro art style that you have. And it's very simple and it's in like a really nice, nice, like clean way. Um, so it's really, it's really great to see that. Um, so Jay, what about you? As we wrap things up, we end at the beginning, so to speak. <laughs> How did you get started working on comics? I, I basically started in the indie press, the small press. I was still in college when we, when I published my first uh, black and white comic. It was actually Slave Labor Graphics out of San Jose. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the book was called um, The Copy Book Tales, and it was basically a, a, a sort of a situation comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, about uh, two guys trying to break into the comic book industry. So it was kind of <laughs> meta. And the interesting thing about that is, even though I didn't make any money and it was like a really small print run and it was kind of like, I still had a day job at the time. I mean, I was still in college and then I still had to get a day job after college. And uh, even though I'd been published and started doing all this indie stuff, the interesting thing is that um, some of the people that became fans of that work, of those comics, would later go on to be editors at Marvel, DC, um, you know, Oni and wherever. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, um, I guess it was kind of like doing a demo. Right. But, um, you know, getting your work out there in some form so people can see what you can do. And then, you know, slowly but surely the freelance gigs came in and I would do some more creator-owned stuff. And um, eventually I got uh, my first full-time gig at DC, which was Teen Titans Go!, and, uh, you know, seven, eight years later, I'm still around. Um, and here we are with robots. So um, awesome. I, 
this is kind of awful for me to say. Nick, Yaz, did you have any other? I have one question. Oh, one yes. random question. Yes. Uh, I wanted to know where you got the names from for the three robots, uh, Panchi, <laughs> Joke, and Goro. Because I have my guesses, but I don't know if they're. Um, yeah, I. It, if you if you know a little bit of Japanese, you know they're kind of forced uh, representations of their powers. Uh, so, for example, yeah. Joke, you know, could mean sight or or scene or spectacle. And he, his powers have to do with his eyes. Like he, it's just all sorts of fun stuff come out of his eyes, like lasers and mm-hmm. x-ray vision and water. <laughs> so just whatever. <laughs> so that, that sort of, you know, I actually, there was a couple of names that I tossed out, um, like um, Gonkyu um, and... Uh, oh, that's cool. What was the word for Cyclops? Shikoropsu, which was Cyclops. And I thought, oh, that's too hard for kids to say. So <laughs> I went with Joke. And then for um, for Koro, I just, I mean, it, it means a path or road. It could also mean run. But I like that it kind of sounded like Correr or Courier, like run in Spanish or French. Oh, oh okay. So Koro's powers are basically, he's a speedster and... You know, so he's quick. So I thought that kind of made sense. And it sounded like it was easy for kids to say, I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. punchy means, well, punchy means punch. So punch. Yeah. And that just seems to be, and he's like, he's got a boxing glove, um, <laughs> uh, whatever, a boxing glove uh, attachment. And he's the strong guy. So, you know, I, I was, I guess it's a bit on the nose, but I just tried to sort of give them names that describe their powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought they were easy to pronounce, but as it turns out, everybody had trouble with uh, Joke. I've I've gotten uh, Jui Ku and Jokai, and like people are just <laughs> you know messing it up. And I just, so I just tell them just you know imagine it's two names like Joe, as in short for Joseph, yeah. and K as in short for I don't know Katie or something. Just put them together. K's jewelers. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, I wanted one random question now that I now that I think about it. Uh, there was one scene where they're in a place called Aswang Swamp. Is that the Aswang that I'm thinking about, the Filipino? Yeah, yeah, that's actually from... Scary. <laughs> that's from the Mighty Zodiac. That was issue one of Mighty Zodiac. Oh, no, that's wrong. That's right, yes. I didn't even get to ask about Mighty Zodiac. Oh, gosh. It's all right. So there's a scene in that... Um, in that in that book where it takes place at a swamp, a swamp. So yeah, yeah I, I was I mean, actually just reading that. References to different uh, Asian mythology and stuff. So of course I had to throw in a Filipino reference there. Yes, yes. I'm, I might have to ask you to come on again to talk about Mighty Zodiac because I I just started reading it and it's great. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't robots related because it just it was in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, there's a place called a swung swap, and I think that's what you meant. Yep, that's exactly it. Yep. That's very cool. Oh, good to know. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, you know, the problem is with that is people are going to mispronounce it as asswang. Yeah. And that's just not a good thing. <laughs> so this is the problem with using, you know, using Asian uh, names and uh, in an English book, you might get into trouble with stuff like that. Right. Well, at least from, from anybody listening to this episode, know that, you know, the record's clear for Joke and Aswang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for we're, The record's clear on that. 
Thank you so much, um, Sean and Jay, for for spending a nice nice hour with us. Um, we'll definitely love to have both of you back at any point to talk about any of your future projects, especially Sean. If you work on that Super Sentai pitch at any time, we would love to just yeah. talk about that. Um, and Jay with Maddie Zodiac um, because it does have that Avatar, uh, very cool uh, Asian mythology spiel to it. Um, Sean, where can we find um, you on online? Um, is there any upcoming projects that you'd like to talk about or plug real quick? Uh, anything like that? Uh, we'll see. Robots, of course, comes out uh, this month. The 27th, right? Uh, yep. Okay. 20, 25th? Yeah, 25th, I think, is the, the, the wide release. Yeah. Okay, okay. 25th. Um, and then I did a backup in Madballs issue number two. Um, that also comes out this month. I think that's it for right now. Oh, where can we find you online on social media? Uh, or on Twitter, website? you can find me at and thank you, and then my website is and thank you for flying dot com. Okay, uh, Jay, what about you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at J Torres Comics, and Facebook, it's facebook dot com slash J Torres Comics. Okay, it's just those two, just Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, that's that's Very basically cool. it for me. Yeah. And The Muddy Zodiac is out now, issue one. Uh, issue two comes out in a couple weeks, and it's a six-issue miniseries. Very cool. I'm very excited to to, re, uh, to continue reading Muddy Zodiac and really excited when Robots comes out. So if you guys haven't uh, ordered it from your local comic book shop already, unfortunately the order cutoff was, uh, was yesterday, so as of the time of this recording, um, <laughs> but you can still pre-order it on Amazon from what I've seen. And the wide release that you said was May 25th. That's correct. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining us here at the Tokusatsu Network. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Tokenet Podcast, the official podcast of TokusatsuNetwork.com. You can find our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can rate and review the podcast. You can also find us on all types of social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find interviews with your favorite tokusatsu actors, as well as press coverage for various tokusatsu events. And if you'd like to throw a few dollars away, there's a donate button on the front page of our site.